Y'all have a great praise team, don't you? They are fantastic. I was trying to figure out whether they're going into the freshman year or sophomore year at college, um, or maybe high school, I'm not sure. Are they middle school uh, students? They are young. I haven't seen young people like that for a long time, but uh, fantastic. Excellence honors God and inspires people. Let me say that again. Excellence honors God and inspires people. You can't drive onto the property of Vero Christian Church without realizing that you care about excellence. You want to do things with excellence. And certainly that uh, praise team is a uh, uh, reason uh, to, to think that of this church. Uh, yeah, I preached uh, for 30 years in Kissimmee, so I go back a long way with a lot of people. I see H.T. Altizer. I'm not sure whether H. Uh, wandering around in the building. Does he actually know where he is? I, you know. Uh, but anyway, it's good to see H.T. and Keith Lane and uh, uh, so many others of the Peters. Uh, David Peters' parents go here to church. I have one of these principles, and I try to stay away from lawyers as much as possible. I don't know whether you feel the same way but I do, but I owe David Peters. I owe David Peters. In fact, I owe David Peters every month because I was, my wife and I were back at Kissimmee at church one Sunday, and uh, David was speaking on behalf of the Rafa house. So my wife listens to him speak, and you know where I'm going with this. And she says, you know, I think we ought to support Rafa house. And so I owe him every month for that message that he preached because she gives every month faithfully to his ministry, and it certainly is a, a great one. Uh, you hear fantastic preaching every week. I know that. I know that. Uh, hopefully, Steve preaches most weeks. I, I think he does, right? Uh, and he is one of the best. If you just go here to church and think he's just average, yeah, he is one of the best that I've ever heard. I have a series of messages that he preached on the mission of Jonah in the Old Testament. I don't know whether he's ever preached it here or not, but he preached it some 35 years ago. I heard him preach that series of messages, and that, me that series has been preached several times since that uh, time uh, when he preached. He was only four years old when he, when he preached that. But it was great, uh, Steve. And every time he speaks, every time he preaches, it is worth listening to. And the early service applauded when I said that. Okay, but you're, you're non-applauders, I guess. Well, I knew it was time to retire in Kissimmee back in uh, 2011. Uh, I'd been there 30 years, but we had remodeled the church building and uh, new bathroom facilities, and we had one of these hot air blower machines in the men's bathroom. And, uh, you know, you push a button, and it blows hot air, and it dries your hands off. But uh, somebody had put on the hot air blower machine in the men's bathroom these words on a sign, for a brief message from our minister, please press here. And so I thought, well, it is time to leave uh, the church and to do something else. Uh, Kissimmee is kind of like Vero in the sense that I didn't think this. I thought this uh, area was upscale, really upscale. When I came to Kissimmee in 1981, it, it was a place of cows and cowboys and rodeos and rednecks. 
But on the way in, on 60, you see this is a place of cows and cowboys. You know, rodeo, I'm not sure, uh, rednecks. Uh, but that's, uh, that's, that's true. The uh, secret of longevity at one church, and Steve's been here 15 years. That's, that's wonderful. Uh, that's a good start, isn't it? Uh, Casey Stengel, the late manager of the New York Yankees, uh, was a manager for a long time with the New York Yankees. And someone asked him what was the secret of his longevity, uh, lasting so long as a manager. And he said, the secret of my longe- longevity, the secret of my su- success, is to keep the people who hate me away from the people who are undecided. You know? And I think that there's a lot of truth in that. There's a plaque on a church building in England that reads, In the year 1653, when all things sacred throughout the land were either demolished or profaned, Sir Robert Shirley built this church, whose singular praise is this, to have done the best of things in the worst of times. Well, if you know anything about that era in England, it was certainly the worst of times. Government was out of control. Cutthroat rulers were reigning. Churches were persecuted. Their services were disrupted. Godliness was running rampant through the land. These were horrible times. But Sir Robert Shirley took the talent that God gave him and he built a church. He did the best of things in the worst of times. And you can't pick up a newspaper or turn the TV on without hearing that our world is at the worst of times. Corrupt politicians prospering. Militant homosexuals demanding exception uh, and acceptance. People wanting to change their gender. Racial tensions worsening. Police being denied service in restaurants. Can you believe that? Islamic fundamentalists threatening freedom and justice. Religious freedom under attack. And it's probably a lot worse than what I just described, isn't it? On and on we could go lamenting things as they are in this lost world, fallen world. But let's not forget, the Bible says, where sin abounds, grace all the more abounds. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If God is for us, who can be against us? The Bible says we are more than conquerors through Jesus. When the world is at its worst, this is a great time for the church to be at its best. What a day this is to preach the gospel. What a day this is to call young men and women into ministry. What a day this is for the Holy Spirit to be unleashed. In the fourth chapter of the book of Acts verse 31 through 37, we see a picture of the church at its best. The gospel was being preached. Lives were being changed. A pagan and hostile culture was being confronted with the gospel. Persecution was mounting. And the church was exploding in growth. After being threatened and then jailed overnight, the apostle Peter and John returned to the church and they prayed after they recited what had happened to them they prayed with the church 
And the Holy Spirit answered that prayer meeting by shaking the house of God. Rather than growing discouraged, the church exploded in ministry. And these verses give us a glimpse of the church at its best. Acts the fourth chapter, verse 31 through 37, give us five characteristics of the model church. Five characteristics of the Acts 2 church. Five characteristics of the church at its best. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. First of all, praying fervently. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, verse 24 verse, through verse 30 is the longest prayer in the book of Acts. And it ends with God's seal of approval. God shook the house where they were meeting. These early Christians did not pray for the sorts of things that we would pray for. They did not pray that their circumstances be changed or their enemies put out of office. They did not even pray for protection. They prayed for power to preach the gospel. Now, a lot of churches can be called houses of programming, houses of activity, houses of committee meetings, houses of worship. But may God haste the day when more and more of our churches are called houses of prayer. Far too often, prayer is a last resort rather than a first response. The church possesses something that the world does not possess. The world does not have right. They may do it. They may shout out to God. But the world does not have right because they have no Savior. They are not connected to God with a Savior who stands at the right hand of God to intercede for us when we pray. Prayer can do what, what God can do. A church in Phoenix, Arizona discovered that truth. The minister asked the members of the church to choose 80 people from the local telephone book and pray for them for 90 days. But he asked another group of people to choose 80 other names in the phone book and those names were to be set aside. Nobody prayed for those individuals. 80 to be prayed for for 90 days, 80 not to be prayed for at all. And then the minister instructed the people to call all 160 on the list. The 80 prayed for, the 80 not prayed for, and asked them a question. Would you allow Christians to come and visit and pray with you? The results were as follows. Only one on the not prayed for list was willing to allow a visit. But 69 out of the 80 on the prayed for list would allow a visit. And 45 of the 80 even invited them in for coffee and special prayer requests. We've experienced the power of prayer in our lives. In 1981, when we came to Kissimmee, we were childless. We could not have children. We thought we could not have children. And uh, we had been on an adoption list in Indiana for two years. 
When you move to another state, though, you don't stay on any adoption list. You go to the bottom of the list. And we prayed for God to bless us with a baby. And sure enough, two years later, we received a baby. Sam was born. He weighed three pounds when he was born. He only weighed four pounds when we got him a month later. About a year after that, we started praying for God to bless us with another child. This time, my wife got pregnant. And in 1985, Katie was born. And she grew up and she became a registered nurse. A year later, we started praying for God to bless us again. And, and he did. This time, my wife got pregnant again. And Abby was born. On Labor Day, September the 7th, 1987, she was born. She grew up, became a school teacher. A year later, we started praying for God to bless us again. And this time my wife got pregnant and Julie was born in August 1989. She grew up. She became a school teacher. It's about this time that we stopped praying for God to bless us so much. A preacher uh, is blessed when he has four children who are all faithful to the Lord and faithful in the church. But it begins with the power of prayer in our lives. The world at its worst needs the church at its best filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 31 says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, the Holy Spirit did not retire at the end of the book of Acts. He is alive and well and empowering the church, the body of Christ today. When the Holy Spirit is at work, His fruit is evident. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In fact, in verse 33 of this text, it says, And much grace was upon them all. That is the touch of the Holy Spirit. On the body of Christ. A preacher in Tennessee said that his dad was not a Christian when he was growing up. He said everybody else in the family went to church. But his dad refused to go to church. He'd never go. When the preacher would come by for a visit, his dad would always say, I know why you're here. I know what you want. You just want another name. You want another pledge. You don't care about me. Well, toward the end of his life, the dad got throat cancer. He had surgery. He couldn't talk. But while he was in the hospital, flowers came, a lot of them, from people at the church. Cards came. Flowers came from people at the church. When he went home, people came and visited from the church. And on a pad, because his dad could not talk, on a pad one day, Though his father could not speak, his father wrote words to his son from Shakespeare's Hamlet. He scribbled these words. In this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my story. And the son said, Dad, what is your story? And he wrote, I was wrong. I was wrong about the church. And he became a Christian late in life 
because of the love and the fellowship of the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The world at its worst needs the church at its best, enjoying unity. Verse 32 says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Now, these verses that talk about this kind of sacrifice uh, sound to a lot of people like that's communism. That's socialism. And that's where we're headed in America today. No doubt. But the church was distinct from communism, communistic atmosphere. Number one, it was voluntary, not obligatory. They voluntarily gave what they gave. Second, it was an attempt to meet needs, not a redistribution of wealth. And third, it was initiated by the church and not the state. Philippians, the second chapter, verse 2 says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And over in the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 3, the apostle Paul writes, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, unity takes effort. There are so many churches in the state of Florida that have divided. In fact, there are churches that are divided over wearing a mask over the last couple of years. Unity takes effort. Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. David Faust was preaching at the North American Christian Convention several years ago, and he told about a church in West Virginia that divided. But both churches of this one church, both factions of the church, neither one of the factions were well off enough to move out. So both churches met in one building, in the same building. Not at the same time, but they both met there. And both factions of the church had a coal pile during the winter months by which to heat the church building. Somebody scribbled on the coal pile storage building these words. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and two coal piles. You know, young people today don't even know what a coal pile is, do they? And while we fight over minor things, the world is going to hell. Here's some practical ways that we can encourage unity in the church. Number one, let the Holy Spirit lead. The Holy Spirit will not lead to division. The Holy Spirit produced the Bible. And this book will not lead to division. His Spirit, His Word, desire unity. Second, mend your fences. Mend your fences. You know, I discovered pretty soon after I came to Kissimmee, 
that it doesn't cost much to apologize. And I had to do a lot of that. But it doesn't cost anything to apologize. Cliff Barrows of the Billy Graham Crusade said that there are 12 words that hold a marriage together. They are these. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Those 12 words will hold a church together. Third, put others first. Philippians, the second chapter, verse 3 says, In humility, consider others better than yourself. If we put others first in the church, it's going to do a lot to unify the church. I heard about a preacher who retired and moved to the country. I guess he was tired of living in the city and he wanted to be able to breathe fresh air and, and uh, he had a hobby of gardening and yard work. He wanted to, to uh, be able to mow his yard and he uh, went to town to buy a lawnmower and he saw a house on the side of the road. He saw a sign in front of the house that said lawnmower for sale. So he decided to stop at the house. He knocked on the door. A little boy came to the door, answered the door, greeted him. Father asked, the preacher asked about the uh, uh, lawnmower for sale. The boy said, oh, it's out back. So they went out back, and the preacher examined the lawnmower, and uh, it didn't look like it was in great shape, but it looked like it would get the job done. So he settled on $25, and he purchased that lawnmower. A little bit later in the day, the boy was out riding his bicycle and he spied the preacher pulling on the engine starter rope on that lawnmower. And some of you may remember lawnmowers that had a starter rope on them. And he was pulling that rope and uh, he finally looked up at the boy and said, I just can't get this mower started. Do you know how? The boy said, well, you have to cuss at it. The preacher said, you have to cuss at it. What do you mean I have to cuss at it? I'm a preacher. And if, if I ever did cuss, I've certainly forgotten how to do it after all these years. Little boy looked at him with a grin and said, well, you keep pulling on that starter rope, it'll all come back to you. <laughs> it's possible to be in the church so long that we forget what the world is like. And what we can do to make a connection with that world. We expect the world to change a lot of methods that may be okay. That we think are doctrine that really aren't. That leads us to the fourth way that we can encourage unity in the church. And that is be willing to change. A majority of the churches in the United States are plateaued or dying for one of two reasons. Number one, because they change what they should never change. We should never change, compromise the scriptures. Doctrine should never be compromised. Truth should not be diminished. But and there are churches that are dying because of that. Because they have compromised the truth. We understand that. But the second reason why churches are 
plateaued or dying is because they refuse to change what they are free to change. And sometimes we elevate our tradition and make it doctrine. And it isn't. And we who are mature have to swallow our pride and change for the sake of others. And you've done that. You've done that. Number five, focus on the big picture. The church is bigger than me. The church is bigger than my ideas, my consideration. When I came to Kissimmee, I didn't believe in drinking coffee during Sunday school. I believe that was a core value to me. Stay away from lawyers and, and don't drink coffee at church. Spill it on the... You know what? That was crazy, wasn't it? I had to change. The church didn't need to change for me. I needed to change for the church and for the Lord. Number six, guard your attitude. Your position may be right, but what about your disposition? I heard about a woman who went to a hardware store and she criticized every item on the shelf of that hardware store. And she came to some brand new brooms. She said, these brooms will never hold up. Their structure is so unstable. The straw is not dependable. The handle of the broom is rough. I don't know what possible purpose these brooms could serve. And the clerk said, why don't you take one and ride it home and see? You know, being negative and critical, it, it may get you attention. But it doesn't honor the Lord. It doesn't build the church. And in the end, you only hurt yourself. The world at its worst needs the church at its best, giving generously. Chapter 4, verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Now, example of this is given two verses later. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, son of encouragement, sold a field, brought the money, put it at the apostles' feet. And that's kind of, a, kind of an example of the church today. We bring our money, we bring gifts, lay them at the feet of those who lead the church and have confidence that those who lead will disperse those monies with love and wisdom. Rick Warren, a pastor who's going to be retiring pretty soon, at the Saddleback Church out in California said, I have people who come to me and say, Rick, I'm just not making it. I'm going through the spiritual blahs. I know that there's something missing in my life. And Rick Warren said, one of the first things I have them do is to check out their checkbook. And a second thing that I have them to do is to check out their calendar. Because what a person does with their money and what they do with their time tells what really is important in their life. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, your treasure leads your heart. 
Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Doesn't work the other way. Your treasure doesn't follow your heart. Your heart follows your treasure. Your heart follows your treasure. Generosity opens our lives to the blessing of God. And generosity empowers the church to carry out its mission. It's been estimated that if all members of the church tithed, the ministry resource potential would increase by 400%. Begin to think what can happen as more and more people catch the vision of Christian giving as the church modeled in the book of Acts. The world at its worst needs the church at its best preaching Jesus. Verse 33 says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. In fact, in the book of Acts, every time somebody preached, every time somebody preached, they made a beeline for the cross and the tomb that was empty of Jesus Christ. Jesus was exalted. Peter would say in this chapter, salvation is given, it is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And as a result of this exaltation of Jesus, lives were changed and the church exploded in growth. To the extent that in chapter 5, verse 14, the Bible says, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. God added to the church. Chapter 5, verse 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped preaching, teaching, proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. One chapter later, chapter 6, verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. The King James Bible says multiplied, multiplied. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Charles Swindoll tells about a minister who was new at his church. And, you know, new minister, new church. Everybody sat near the back of the auditorium. And the preacher said something interesting. He said, if you're not going to come to me, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come to you. So he picked up his podium and he walked back the middle aisle right to where the people were. And he preached love, the gospel, truth. And week by week as he preached, he had to move that podium back toward the front of the church as the church filled up with people. Over time... That preacher received a call to another church and he left. And a new minister was chosen. But this minister was kind of negative, legalistic. And people started leaving the church. He didn't do it, but he could have picked up that same podium and marched it right back up that middle aisle as people left in droves. Lift up Jesus Christ. I know you do. Just that. Max Lucado, in one of his books, tells about a friend of his who cared for some of the victims of Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. You probably remember New Orleans. 1,800 people died. 
but the people were evacuated. Thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people were evacuated. But 12,500 of those evacuees ended up in San Antonio, Texas, where Max Lucado was a preacher. And a physician, friend of his, gave his time and talent to treat some of those evacuees. And one survivor told him a riveting story. As the waters rose around his house in New Orleans, he swam out the upstairs window with two children clinging to his back. And he found refuge atop the tallest building in the neighborhood. Soon other people joined him on the roof. A mass of people joined together on that roof of the tallest building in the neighborhood for what would be their home for the next three days until they were rescued. After about an hour on that building, the man realized they were on top of a church building. And he announced to the other roof dwellers, we are on holy ground. Well, his news jogged the memory of another roof dweller. And she looked around and she announced... My grandmother and grandfather helped build this church. Do you think those grandparents ever imagined that that building that they helped to build would eventually save their daughter? I mean, surely they prayed that God would use that building to save lost people. Of course. But they could have never imagined that God would use that building to save their own daughter in a hurricane. Nor do you know how God will use the effort that you put in to this church to build this church and to reach people, to save them for eternity through the ministry of this church. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Praying fervently. Enjoying unity. Giving generously. Preaching Jesus. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to praise your name with these young musicians who give of themselves to lead worship. We thank you for the benefit that we have as Americans to meet freely in this place and to speak aloud what we believe and to agree with your word. We thank you for the faithful ministers of this church who love you and who give their best. We pray that you would use these people and this church to reach many others in this community with the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.